reading this morning is from Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, 36, verses 22 to 38. Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 22 through 38. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with the flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from John chapter 14. Verses 15 through 17, again, the Lord's very word. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray together. Once again, O God, we ask that you would shine in our hearts the light of the glory of the gospel of your dear Son and show us once again who you are for us in Christ. We pray that you'd accomplish your good purpose in us uh, uh, by your Spirit now. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. How can it really be better that Christ is not here on earth, but is in heaven? Imagine for a minute that the session made an announcement before this morning's service. We're going to be having an extra special service next Sunday. Jesus is going to be here. He's going to come. He's going to preach. He'll teach Sunday school. We'll have lunch together. You'll you'll have a chance to spend some time with him. Come back for the evening service. We'll be preaching then too. Wouldn't you come? And 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 you. I mean, I wouldn't miss that day for anything. I would be there, and and I would say that that was probably the best day of my life. It would go down in the history of the church as as. uh, in 2021, Jesus came and provided pulpit supply and pastoral care for a Sunday at Lemington OPC. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be? Why didn't Christ stay on this earth? How can we possibly be better off without him present on earth with us? That's the disciples' question here in John 14. Jesus, how can you be leaving us? The kingdom you promised, where is it? How can we build the kingdom without the king? How can we fulfill the ministry you've given us? How can we keep the commandments you've given us without you here? In a sense, those fears are justified, aren't they? We see this in ourselves. Without Christ, we can't keep his commands, fulfill the ministry he's given us, build the church, advance the kingdom. We can't do anything apart from Christ. But Jesus is telling his disciples here, he's telling us here, that when he says he's leaving, he's not saying he's going to be absent. Yes, he's going away, but he says he's not leaving us helpless. He actually says he's going away in order that we might have all the help we need for these things. Dear ones, it's because he's ascended to his Father that we actually have the strength, the help we need to keep his commands, to love and obey Christ. We, we can feel our needs so strongly, and we should feel our needs strongly, you know, to say, I cannot be faithful to Christ in my own. I, I cannot keep his commands. I cannot uh, love others uh, humbly and well. Uh, but just as strongly as we feel our need, we should feel the sufficiency of Christ and the Spirit of Christ who indwells us. Jesus tells us here in this text that it's because he goes to his Father and sends the Spirit that we are able to fulfill his commands. Because God has sent the Spirit of Christ to live in us, we can both love him and obey him. That's our theme this morning. So let's begin where the text does here with uh, with the end, with the goal of, 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 of everything here. And our first point, the fruit of love. With verse 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. It could also be uh, translated, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Either way, the, the idea is very clear here. The fruit of love is obedience. If you love Christ, you'll obey Christ. The, the measure of, of our obedience, uh, the measure of our love for Christ is, is how much we obey him, how faithful we are to him. So the less we obey, the more clear it becomes how little we actually love him. These two ideas, love and obedience, are, are so closely related for Christ. And, and for uh, John as well, we actually see John right over in 1 John 5.3. He says this, For this 
is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. So love, love in a sense, is obedience, John says. It's kind of like the relationship between an electrician and the work of actually wiring a house. The electrician can say he's an electrician, he can be certified as an electrician, but if he never gets out and actually wires a house, what good is it? So we can say we love the Lord, we love Christ Jesus, we, but we need to get out and wire the house to, to go and obey him. That's what love looks like. That's how it acts. Now, let me qualify just a, just a bit here. It's not how all love acts. We realize not all love equals obedience. My children can't say to me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, uh, we can only say to our children, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments in the Lord. But what does Christ say here? He says flat out, no qualifications. If you love me, you'll obey me. It's a shocking statement for a man to say. If you love me, you'll obey me. But Christ is speaking as the Lord himself here. He's speaking with all authority. He's speaking as the covenant Lord, Yahweh. Right? Think back to, to Deuteronomy, where the Lord is speaking of his covenant with his people. And all over Deuteronomy, the Lord is telling his people, I am the Lord, love me and obey me. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. That's Deuteronomy's way of saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Christ is saying the same thing here. He's saying, I am the covenant Lord. Come in the flesh, here to establish the new covenant. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How often... We come on a Lord's Day, we pray, we sing to God about how much we love Him and, and, and we worship Him, and then we go home and the rest of the week often, so, so often, it's just back to the same old uh, uh, lifestyle of me doing my thing without reference to God, without reference to Christ and His commands. We need to, we need to center our lives around this, brothers and sisters. Our, our obedience to Christ, to all His commands, is the measure of our love for Him, He says. Not just, not just obedience to the commands that we like, obedience to all His commands. Especially the ones, perhaps, that are costly. In fact, Jesus seems to have cost, a costly command, particularly in mind here, when He says, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. He's been talking about one particular commandment quite a bit in this context here around, around John 14. He says it twice. Once in John 13, 34, He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says it again, John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I don't know that there's a harder commandment than that one. Jesus says, love each other just like I have loved you. He's just washed his disciples' feet. He's about to go to the cross and die in their place. And he says to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's his command. I think that's the, the top command in his mind as he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is what we're called to, brothers and sisters, in our marriages, in our parenting, with our parents, with our siblings, with one another here in the church. 
Love one another as Christ has loved us. It's, it's easy to love and serve each other as long as it doesn't feel like it costs us anything. As long as it feels convenient to do it. But that's not what Christ is demonstrating for us when he washes his disciples' feet. That's not what he's doing for us when he goes to the cross. He's showing us a self-denying, humble, sacrificial love. Are we loving and serving each other only when it's convenient? This is the goal, the aim that Christ has in mind, brothers and sisters. He, he starts here with the fruit. Of, he's going to go on to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit to make us able to do this. But he starts here with this command that, that, that we, if we love him, we'll keep his commands, especially, I think, this command to love one another. This is what Christ desires to see in his church, in his kingdom. This, this self-denying, uh, uh, other-oriented love. But if he's leaving, what hope do the disciples have of keeping his commands, or of seeing this, this fruit of Godward love in their lives? If, if Christ is absent, brothers and sisters, what hope do we have to keep this command? That's the question Jesus addresses next. He tells his disciples and us that he's sending a helper. This is our second point, the forever Helper, in verse 16. Jesus says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Three things I want to look at under this point here. The first is Jesus' uh, Jesus' prayer here. He's just told the disciples to pray back in verse 14. Now he says, he's going to pray. He says, he says I will ask. He's just said, you ask whatever you want of me in my name. And now he says, I will ask something of the Father as well. But the idea here is not just that Christ is going to pray now for his disciples on earth, but actually that he's going to ascend to his Father's right hand and ask for something. He's going to ascend as, as the victorious, conquering Christ to his Father. He's going to be enthroned there in glory, and he's going to ask the Father for the, for the reward that was promised the fullness of the Spirit, that he might pour out that Spirit on his church. We see this explicitly in Acts chapter 2, 33. Being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The Father is going to crown the finished work of his Son by giving him the Holy Spirit without measure and then through him pour out that Spirit on the church. This is what God's people have been waiting for for so long. This is an ancient hope. It goes all the way back to to Moses, that God would send the Holy Spirit. Listen to Moses' words in Numbers 29.11. He says, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. This is a hope that runs through the whole book of Deuteronomy, the, the, the sense of a need in Deuteronomy that we need new hearts if we're going to keep these covenant commands. We can't do it without new hearts. This, this increases, it intensifies as we run through the, through the prophets. Isaiah speaks of the Messiah as the one who's going to be full of the Spirit. Joel 2 talks about the Spirit being poured out on the church in the, in the age uh, when the Messiah comes. Jeremiah 31, we read earlier, tells us what it's going to be like in the age of the new covenant when God, by His Spirit, gives us new hearts. But what's the goal? What's the goal of Christ ascending, asking the Father for the Spirit, pouring the Spirit out on the church? Well, it's obedience. 
This was the way it was expected in the Old Testament. As we read earlier in Ezekiel 36.27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. God will give the spirit. The result, his people will obey. They'll walk in his commandments. That's exactly what Christ is saying here. Keep my commandments. I'll send the spirit so you can. He's, he's calling for this covenant loyalty and faithfulness. He says, he says, I'm your covenant Lord and Redeemer. You must obey me. But here's the promise. I'm sending you another helper. Another helper. That's the second thing I want to look at under this second point, the forever helper. This idea of the Spirit as our helper. The one who will make us able to love and obey His commandments. What's a, what's a helper? When I think of that word, I think of uh, my son, perhaps, helping me fix the kitchen faucet. It means he holds the wrench when I'm not using it. Um, a helper can have the sense of someone who just helps us a little bit. Right? We, do, we do maybe 99%, and they, they uh, pitch in just to get us over the top. Of course, that's not at all what the word means here. The, the word translated helper here doesn't really respond to any exact English word. The Greek is parakletos. Maybe you've heard the, the term paraclete as a name for the Holy Spirit. That's where this comes from. It means helper. That, that gets at it, but it, it, that's, a, that's a little generic. Um, it means someone who's your advocate. It means someone who gives you counsel. It, it could be translated a counselor or an advisor. In some contexts, it actually has a, a legal meaning to it. So it's like a, like a lawyer, someone who, someone who can give you legal advice and stand up for you and, 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 and strengthen you and encourage you. Someone who knows more than you do, someone who has more ability than you do, someone who knows what the situation needs better than you do, and someone who knows how to equip you with what you need to handle that situation. We could flip the analogy I started with then, when my son and I are fixing the faucet, I'm the helper. Holding his hand, showing him how to turn the wrench. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has sent the Spirit to be our counselor, our advisor, our helper, the one who gives us wisdom and skill to keep God's commands. When we have no idea how to do this, what to do, he says, here, this is the way. He has it where he places his hand over ours, and by his strength then, we do turn that wrench. We're not left helpless, Christ is saying. When I go to my Father, we are, uh, I am going to send the Spirit to be your helper. So, brothers and sisters, we are more helped than ever before. More helped because Christ has gone and sent the Spirit than if Christ himself were still here. He gives us all the resources we need by his Spirit to keep his commands. That's helper. Then there's this idea here of the helper being with us forever. The Spirit doesn't just come down, give us new life in Christ, and then leave. He doesn't, he doesn't come and go sporadically. He doesn't just come to one age or time period of the church where it looks like there's a flash of revival and activity. No, He's with the church forever. He's with us who are in Christ forever. He's, he's a forever helper, a constant counselor. No matter the difficulty or quandary or challenge we're facing, even, you know, we don't know what to do. Perhaps we know what to do, but we don't have the courage and strength to do it. He's our counselor. He's right there with us. Christ promises. Brothers and sisters, this means that you have all the help that you need to keep Christ's commands. The Holy Spirit himself is with you forever as your helper. 
So, so do not be discouraged in the face of temptation and, and struggle and sin. The Holy Spirit Himself is your helper to make you able to love and obey our Lord Jesus. That should be endlessly encouraging, shouldn't it? But when I hear that, two other questions come to mind. Number one, how, how does the Holy Spirit help us? Right, he's our helper, but, but, but how does that work? Right? Is it some kind of mystical experience? Some kind of supernatural energy that we get? How, what is this help? What's it look like when the Holy Spirit helps us? That's, that's the first question I, I, that I think of here. The second question is this. Who is this helper anyway? Can we, can we know the Holy Spirit like, like this so, so intimately and closely and well? For many of us, I think the Spirit is, is a bit faceless or unknown, almost anonymous. Someone said the Spirit is the shy person of the Trinity. Right? We, can, we, can, we hear the word Father and we can associate, you know, I have a loving, caring, earthly Father. And so I get a handle on, on what the Father is like in heaven. And we can hear the word Son. And we have a handle a bit on that as well. And, and what the Son is like, we can read the Gospels, see the life of Christ so clearly in the Gospels, hear His words, see His actions. So we, we, we know the Son, but the Spirit, how do we know what is a spirit? How do we know the spirit? Those questions, those two. How does he help us and how can we know him? Those bring us to our final point, filled with the spirit in verse 17. Here Jesus promises us that we do in fact know the spirit. He says that he's the, the, the spirit of Christ who helps us by speaking truth to us. Let's unpack this. This is verse this is here in verse 17. Let's take those two questions we just asked and use them to kind of unpack the verse here for us. The first question, how does the Spirit help us? Well, right after Christ describes the Spirit as the helper, he goes on in verse 17 to say, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. This, 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 uh, this, this, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. To, to get a handle on what that is describing exactly, it's helpful to look at the context again. John fifteen twenty six, Jesus calls the Spirit the Helper and the Spirit of Truth again. And, and then he says, the Spirit will bear witness about me. So the Spirit is going to be the Spirit who tells the truth about Christ. Tells the truth about Christ. Uh, Jesus makes a, a similar statement in John 16, 13. Again, part of the same discourse here that's happening in the upper room. Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. So the Spirit of truth is the one who leads you into truth. Truth about Christ. So this is how the Spirit helps us. This is the kind of help He gives. He guides us into the truth. What's, what is that truth? Well, Jesus just told us a few verses earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. This is the truth the Spirit guides us into and teaches us. It's Christ Himself. It's who Christ is. It's what Christ has done. It's the Gospel. This is, this is the, the ministry of the Spirit of truth. He helps us by teaching us who Christ is and what He's done. He helps us by teaching us the Gospel over and over and over and over. See then, loved ones, these are the tools the Holy Spirit uses to make us more able to love and obey our Lord Jesus. He takes God's Word. 
which speaks to us the Gospel, which speaks to us of Christ. And He applies it to us. He illumines our hearts with it. So do you need help loving and obeying Christ? Fulfilling this command that He gives to love one another with this uh, inconvenient and self-denying uh, love. Serving one another. Where do we go for help and strength to do these things? The Helper Himself. Who leads us into the truth about who Christ is by His Word. It's a little counterintuitive, counterintuitive, I think. In order to obey Christ's command to love, I need the Holy Spirit to lead me into the truth of the Gospel. In order to fulfill Christ's command to love you, I need to love Christ first and most. Love for Christ is the only effective motivation to keep this command to love others. We said earlier, obedience to Christ's commands is the measure of of our love for Him. Well, now it's the love that is for Christ that is the motivation for our obedience. So if we want to keep His commands, what do we need? We need to love Christ more. How do we love Christ more? The Holy Spirit, our Helper, leading us into the truth of who Christ is and what He's done in His Word. This is how He helps us, brothers and sisters through the means of grace. That's the first question. The second question is this. How can we know this Holy Spirit, this Helper? I think it's clear that we must know Him. He's, he's the, one who, the only one who can make us able to love and obey our Lord Jesus. How can we know this Spirit? We can't receive Him automatically. John says here, Jesus says here, the world can't receive this Holy Spirit because it doesn't know the Spirit, so we have to know the Spirit. How do we know the Holy Spirit. Well, let's see. We look at look at what Jesus says with me here. The second part of verse seventeen, he says, "You know him, you know the Holy Spirit, because he dwells with you, and will be in you. You know him because he dwells with you, and will be in you." So he tells his disciples, "You already know him." What does he mean here when he says when he says that? What does he mean when he says that the Spirit already dwells with the disciples and soon he'll be in the disciples? I've often heard this verse interpreted like this, that in the Old Testament, the Spirit didn't indwell the, the people of God. He was with them, uh, but not in them. But I don't see a lot of biblical grounds for holding that view. I think... Scriptures are pretty clear that the Old Testament believers were, sa- were saved just as New Testament believers are by trusting in Christ. And the only one who can give us that faith in Christ is the Spirit as He works in us. Faith in Christ. So I don't think there's a change here between how the Holy Spirit regenerates believers in the Old Testament and regenerates them in the New. So what is the change? What is different? Why does Jesus say the Spirit dwells with you and will be in you? Well, what changes? What changes here? What changes when Christ ascends and pours out His Spirit? What is the new thing? I think it's this. The emphasis in the Gospels is on the Holy Spirit indwelling Christ Himself. Jesus is the one who is filled beyond measure with the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit-filled man par excellence. Think of, think of Luke 4. As Jesus begins His ministry in Luke, He preaches this sermon. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is the Spirit-filled man. Everything he does in the Gospels, he does by the power of the Spirit, in the Spirit. 
And this all just increases with his resurrection and, and ascension. Listen to how Paul describes Christ over in 2 Corinthians three seventeen. He says, Now the Lord, and he's talking there about, about Jesus, the Lord, that is Jesus, is the Spirit, he says. He says it again at the end of 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Lord who is the Spirit. What is that saying? Not, not that the distinction between the, the, the Son and the Spirit is in any way erased or, or can ever disappear, but that there is such a filling of Christ with the Holy Spirit that he's actually identified with the Spirit here in, in Paul's thought and, and as Christ speaks to us here. So as Jesus says to his disciples here in John 14, you know the Spirit because the Spirit dwells with you now. He's saying, you know the Spirit because I am filled with the Spirit and you know me. The Spirit is in me, he's saying to his disciples. Everything I do, I do by the Spirit's presence and power. So, disciples, he says, the Spirit is with you right here in me. He's living among you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Jesus adds this, the Spirit will be in you. That's the change. Not that the disciples weren't already born again by the Spirit, but, 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 but this. As Christ ascends, he pours out the Spirit on his church. It's now the Spirit of Christ. It, it, we, we are now filled with the Spirit who filled the Lord Jesus. Paul writes about this over in 1 Corinthians 15.45, he says, The last Adam, Christ that is, the last Adam became life-giving spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's new. This is, the, this is the spirit who indwelt the Lord Jesus, equipping and enabling him through his life to, to obey his Father, to, 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 to serve, to love, to lay down his life. That's who the spirit is. See, see what this means for the disciples. The Spirit's not unknown, faceless, anonymous. No, He's the Spirit of Christ. The words that Christ speaks, those words which we love in the Gospels, Christ's precious words are the words of the Spirit. The, the works He accomplishes are the works He accomplished by the Spirit's power. This also means this. The Helper that Jesus promises here, the Holy Spirit, is no second-class substitute. He is the helper who sustained the Lord Jesus for his obedience. Brothers and sisters, this is the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. If we're trusting in Christ, we have the Spirit of Christ. We are indwelt by the same Spirit who indwelt Christ. Equipped him to to lay down his life in self-denying love. The one who helped him, he's in us. So, brothers and sisters, Christ hasn't left the church at all, has he? He's not left us at all. He's, he's, he's with us. He's in us by his Spirit. Back in verse 16, when Jesus tells his disciples he's sending a helper, he calls him another helper. The word another there that means, means another of the same kind. There's this closeness, again, that we've seen between Jesus and the Spirit. He's going to go on to say this even more clearly in in a verse we'll look at next time. Verse 18, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's not talking about his resurrection. He's talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit. There's such a closeness between Christ and the Spirit of Christ that, that he can say, I'm coming to you. The Spirit is coming to you. It means the same thing. 
Now we began by asking this question. Can it really be better for us that Christ is not here on earth, but in heaven? And I'm asked, I ask you to imagine that scenario. That if, what if Christ himself were coming to Limington OPC next Sunday? It would be glorious and wonderful. We could, we could hear him speak, ask him questions, share a meal with him, seek his counsel and, and, and his advice. Or, or imagine this, Christ himself could meet with you for an hour by yourself, one-on-one, tomorrow morning. You could hear him speak to you. You could fellowship with Christ. Brothers and sisters, if Christ were still on earth, it would be like trying to get a meeting with the Pope. But because he's ascended and sent his spirit, the very spirit of wind dwelt Christ now indwells us. And so this is no second-class substitute. This is the very spirit of Christ. It's actually better this way. Because every Lord's Day in the church, what's happening? Christ speaks as his spirit proclaims the word. That's what we get when we come and read and, and hear the word preached. And every morning you get up and you open your Bible. There it is again. It's the very word of Christ. Right? That, that's the tool the Spirit takes. That's his instrument that he picks up and works in us exactly what we need to love and obey Christ the way we're called to. And as, as we read God's word, that's where the Spirit gets to work, leading us into the truth of who Christ is and what he's done. And as we go through each day and we're taxed and we're challenged and we're tempted, called to inconvenience for the sake of others, to love and lay down our lives even for others, that there's the Spirit with us, in us, as our counselor and advisor and helper to bring to mind God's Word and give us wisdom about how to apply it and strength to do so, so that we're able to keep Christ's commands. Brothers and sisters, the very Spirit who equipped Christ is in you if you're trusting in Christ as your advisor and counselor and helper, illuminating our hearts with the Bible. Won't you lean on Him? Won't you seek strength and wisdom and help from Him? He'll give it. Let's pray.